Well, good morning, Marley. I hope you had a great Christmas. Now you're ready for a new year. Amen. Glad to have a couple of my good friends for many, many decades. Uh, Brendan Dean Kegler here from Tyler. I've, I played a few rounds of golf with Dean, and he has let me even win a few times. Would y'all welcome our friends from Tyler here? <laughs> Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. We're completing our series on the parables of Jesus by talking about the gift that keeps on forgiving. Uh, as Andy was talking about, we start next Sunday going through the gospel according to Mark, verse by verse. One week from today, uh, Pastor Gio from Marshall Campus is going to be preaching here, giving an introduction to Mark. I'm actually preaching at Green Acres next Sunday. Uh, before I retired, the pastor there, Michael Gossett, asked me to preach on the first Sunday of January, so I'll be heading back to my former congregation, and then I'll be back here two weeks from today as, we be, as I begin that series through Mark. So have you heard the expression, the gift that keeps on giving? Well, if you watch Christmas Vacation over the holidays, you heard, you know, how he got the gift of the Jelly of the Month Club, Clark Griswold did. He was expecting to get a bonus to finish a swimming pool. And Cousin Eddie, into his 10th glass of eggnog, said, Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving all year long. You may be curious to know where that phrase actually came from. The gift that keeps on giving was trademarked in 1924 by the Victor Talking Machines. They were the forerunners of the Victrolas or phonographs. Now, kids, before digital music, uh, there was something called CDs. Before that, there was something called cassettes. Anybody remember cassettes? Then there were eight tracks. Before that, there were records that we listened to. And the Victrola uh, was sort of the forerunner of our phonographs. But instead of the gift that keeps on giving, grace is the gift that keeps on forgiving. So let me start by saying, how many of you have ever been sinned against? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever held a grudge against somebody else, been bitter towards somebody else? How many times do you need to forgive somebody, even if you think they're going to continue to abuse you and continue to sin against you? That's what we're going to be talking about today, all about forgiveness. And Jesus tells the story in this parable about the importance of forgiveness. And so if you'll join me in standing, we're going to start reading in Matthew 18, 21, this amazing parable. It starts with Peter approaching Jesus and he asks, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you not as many as seven, Jesus replied. But 70 times 7 is really a word that means 70-folded in on itself. It's a word that's almost like infinity. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to, and now he tells this story, a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents, that's about $10 million in today's money, was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion and released him and forgave him the loan. Now, if that was the end of the story, that'd be a great message. We could just sit down. They all lived happily ever after. But that's, that's not the rest of the story. Keep reading verse 28. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 
a hundred denarii, which is about 20 bucks. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him using the same words, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed. They went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. And then here's the moral of the parable. So also, my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will bring to our minds today any unresolved relationships, any grudges or bitterness that still may be lingering in our lives. And help us to begin, Lord, a new calendar year with a heart full of forgiveness for those who've wronged us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Be seated. Now, when Peter asked the question, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times. He was actually being, you know, rather spiritual and very, very generous because if you remember before the Jewish system of morality, which was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it was every man for himself. I mean, you punched my tooth out, I'm going to kill you. You punch my eye out, I'm going to kill you. But the Jews said, no, the punishment should fit the crime. So an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's Old Testament. But by the time Jesus came along, the rabbis had revised that moral code and they had said, you should forgive somebody three times, but that's the limit, three times. In other words, if somebody stomps on your toe, you forgive them once. Stomps on your toe a second time, a third time, you forgive them a second and third time. If they stomp on your toe the fourth time, right in the kisser, okay? So for Peter to say seven times, that's twice three plus one. He, he thought he was being very generous, but Jesus said, no. Hey, Peter, forgiveness is not about counting. It is all about character. Now, Jesus didn't give any names to any of the characters in his parable, so let's back up and retell it and maybe give some names to the characters. Well, without a doubt, the king, the master, the owner is God himself, and he is full of grace, and he's always forgiving. And so let's call this first servant hard-hearted Harry, okay? So the king calls in hard-hearted Harry and says, hey, you owe me $10 million. I can't pay you. Just give me some time. Well, you know what? The, the king was so moved with compassion that he said, I, I forgive your debt. I'm just writing it off. Then hard-hearted Harry goes out and meets one of his other friend, fellow servants, let's call him Debtor Dan, and hard-hearted Harry says, hey, Debtor Dan, what about that 20 bucks you owe me? Hey, just give me some time. I promise I will pay you back. And he grabbed him by the throat and said, oh, no, you won't. And he had him thrown into prison where you can't repay a debt when you're in prison. And the servants, you know, like, through the grapevine, they heard about this. And they said, you know, what up with that? What's, what's wrong with this picture? So they go tell the king, and the king summons hard-hearted Harry back in. He says, you low-life, wicked servant, I forgave you $10 million, and you could not forgive a lousy $20 debt? Hey, 
you're out of here. You and your family, you're going to be in tortured in prison. And that was an eternal incarceration because you'll never be able to pay off your debt there. Now, what, what's the point that, that Jesus is trying to make here? Well, we're going to learn three lessons about forgiveness. And then at the end of the message, I want to give you three very practical tips about how to know that you have truly forgiven someone who has wronged you, okay? So here's principle number one. God offers to forgive a debt too large for me to ever repay. That's the overall spiritual lesson here. Each of us owe a sin debt to God that we could never pay off. So don't raise your hand on this. Please don't. How many of you have ever sinned? Don't don't raise your hand. Think about this. How many times do you think you sin in a day? Have you ever thought about that? I don't know if you keep track of it, but you remember sin is not only the wrong things you do, it's the good things you don't do. And not only is there the sin of action, there's the sin of thought or the sin of disposition. Okay, let's just imagine you're a pretty good person, okay? You're a pretty good guy, pretty good gal, and you only sin maybe once every two hours during the day. That means during the waking hours, that's about eight times. So in a year's time, that's 3,000 sins. Let's say you live to be 77 from the age of accountability at about 7 to 77. That means you have a sin debt of over 200,000 sins. And you stand before God for the accounting and he says, pay up. And we say, we, we can't pay. And so you know what he does? He does what he did for hard-hearted Harry. He just, he wrote it off. He said, forgiven and wrote it in red, symbolizing the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what grace is. That is God giving us not what we deserve, but what we really need. It's a good thing God doesn't keep a list. Look at what it says in Psalm 130, verse three. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? And the Bible over and over again says that we are sinners and sometimes we don't understand the grace side as much as we do as the guilt side. For instance, you all know Romans 3.23, but one of the dangers of being a very famous verse is if you're a verse next to it, you get ignored. So let's read Romans 3.23 and 24. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all heard that. But what does the next verse say? And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, you know, when the king forgave a $10 million debt, he had to absorb the loss. I mean, his net worth was lowered by $10 million. It cost him something to forgive. And, you know, it cost God something to forgive our sins. Don't ever forget, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It cost Jesus the gold of his blood and the silver of his tears And the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. I used to sing a song. I hadn't sung in a long time. It says, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, amazing grace all day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. That's the first thing that we all learn, that each of us owes a debt we can't repay. Number two, I don't forgive to earn God's forgiveness, 
but because I have been forgiven. Sometimes people get the idea that you can earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others, but that's putting the cart before the horse. That's the wrong cause and effect. Because we are people who are forgiven, that's why we have a heart to forgive. Now, most of you know what is often called the, the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's not really the Lord's Prayer. It never says in the Bible it's the Lord's Prayer. I don't really think it's the Lord's Prayer. It's the model prayer. It's a model that Jesus taught us to use. Jesus didn't pray that prayer himself. He taught us to pray it because Jesus would have never had to pray, Lord, forgive us our trespasses because he never trespassed as those who trespass against us. I think the real Lord's Prayer is John 17. That beautiful high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed the night before the cross, that's the real Lord's Prayer. But in the model prayer, in Matthew 6, 15, Jesus did say, if you do not forgive men, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Now, that's not saying that if, if you were saved and then you choose not to forgive somebody, you lose your salvation. Remember this about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is not how to get to heaven. The Sermon on the Mount is a code of conduct for those who are already in the kingdom. And if you have been forgiven, you will have a heart to, to forgive others. Because the only person on earth who can afford the luxury of unforgiveness is a person who doesn't need to be forgiven. This is how Paul expresses it in Ephesians 4, 32 and 33. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as in Christ, God forgave you. You know, there are a lot of people who live by the sense of revenge. Have you seen the bumper sticker that says, you know, I don't get mad, I get even? Or maybe you heard somebody say, revenge is a dish that is best served cold. There are a lot of people who hang on to a bitterness and grudge for a long time and they're unwilling to forgive. And I just wanna say, if you and I have been forgiven, we will forgive others. Here's the third thing that we learn about this parable. Unforgiveness torments me in a prison of bitterness. It torments me. Whenever you hold on to a bitterness and a grudge, you're the one that suffers. Did you know bitterness is like an acid that always destroys its own container? Now, let's go back to hard-hearted Harry for a minute. We can use some monopoly language. The king had given him a get-out-of-jail-free card. But then when he met Debtor Dan, he said, no, you go straight to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200. And he basically tore up his get-out-of-free-jail. And he was guilty of trying to fix the problem himself. Do you notice hard-hearted Dan never said, please forgive me? He said, you know, just give me some time. I can work it out. I'll pay you back. You know who that represents? That represents a person who realizes that maybe there are imperfections in their life, but they're too proud to ask God to forgive them their sins. They say, you know what? I'm just going to clean up my act. I'm going to do better. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start reading my Bible over and over again. No, no, this is a picture of somebody who tries to earn acceptance and refuses to accept grace. And because of that, they don't show grace. Warren Wiersbe is one of my favorite New Testament scholars, and here's what he has to say about this parable. The world's darkest prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. When we refuse to forgive others, we only imprison ourselves 
and compound our suffering. Some of the most miserable people I've met have been those who would not forgive others. They dream about punishing the one who has wronged them, and they don't realize that they're only punishing themselves. Now, I've been a pastor for over 45 years, and through the years, I've known a lot of sort of mean people in church, you know, because those mean people are usually the people that are holding grudges, and they, they haven't forgiven people because they were wronged in the past. And you just see it destroying them through the years. Ray Steadman was one of my great mentors. He even writes about a lady in his church who, were, who was in his, her 80s who, who came to him about bitterness. And I quote him, a woman in her 80s told me that 50 years before, her aunt had said something insulting to her. And this woman had never forgiven her. 50 years later, she could recount the insult in precise detail as she talked about it. She felt all the same bitterness, anger, and resentment welling up within her as when it originally occurred. It was no wonder to me that by this time, she had become a bitter, crotchety, quarrelsome, unhappy woman who could find no happiness in life whatsoever. Hey, brothers and sisters, do yourself a favor. Forgive other people quickly. Let go of that sin. So now I want to move on to the practical part of the message. Because through the years, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, well, this person has wronged me. And I think I have forgiven them, but I don't really know what forgiveness looks like. Well, let me just teach you three promises that you make to someone whenever you really, truly forgive them, okay? First promise, you say, when I forgive, it means I don't want to punish you. I don't want to hurt you for what you've done to me. Now, we all, you know, we have this thing within us that wants to strike back. You know, when somebody strikes us, we want to strike them back. When they say something bad about us, we want to say something bad about them. And we hang on to this anger and bitterness. Do you know what the word forgive means in the New Testament? It means to release. And just think about hard-hearted Harry. He grabbed at her Dan literally by the throat and was squeezing the life out of him, refusing to forgive. Let me just teach you visually and, and physically what forgiveness is. Would, you, would each of you just take your right hand and hold it up and squeeze it as tight as you can? That's unforgiveness. And now loosen the grip and let go. That is what forgiveness is. When you forgive somebody... You're saying, I promise I don't want to punish you. So what if they committed a crime against me? Do I just say, I'm not going to bring any charges against you? No, that's not what I'm saying. God has instituted the state, according to Romans 13, and given them the power of the sword to punish wrongdoers. So somebody could have hurt you and wronged you, and if they broke a law, you don't have to say I'm not bringing charges. You let the law do their part. It just means that you are not the judge, the jury, and the executioner, okay? So you remember in 2015, this young guy by the name of Dylan Roof went into a church in Charleston, South Carolina, where nine African-Americans were having a prayer meeting and a Bible study. And he sat there for almost an hour while they had a Bible study and a prayer time. And then he shot all nine of the people there. The reason he did it was he was trying to launch a race war that would divide the nation. Well, of course, he was arrested, found guilty. And do you remember at the sentencing phase of his trial, person after person from that church and even relatives of those nine people who'd been murdered, they stood up and said 
to Dylan Roof, we forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. And you know, people that weren't Christians, even in the news, they couldn't understand how those people could ever say, I forgive you, because they don't understand grace. But that doesn't mean that Dylan Roof is not going to suffer for his crime. He was found guilty of, of murder and he's on death row in a federal penitentiary in Indiana. So let the state do what the state does and I'm no longer gonna to try to punish that person for what they did to me. All right, here's the second thing that you promise when you forgive somebody. When I forgive, it means I won't allow this to stand between us. In other words, I, I don't want what happened between us to break our relationship. I want us to be reconciled. Now you understand what reconciliation is. Here's holy God, and here we are, sinful men and women. And we are separated from God because of our sinful condition, sinners by nature and sinners by choice. And when God offers us the free gift of eternal life, he forgives our sins, and by faith we receive that gift, we are reconciled with God. And reconciliation is a beautiful thing. But forgiveness of another person is not always the same thing as reconciliation. You say, what do you mean? Well, reconciliation requires both parties to agree to reconciliation. And maybe through the years there have been times when somebody wronged you and you forgave them and you did as much as you could to be reconciled with them, but they just didn't want to be reconciled. I had a lawyer tell me one time that the greatest loophole verse in the Bible is found in Romans 12, 18. Look at this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. You know what? The Bible doesn't say you can live at peace with everyone. It just says as much as you can, you live at peace with them. Listen, you can forgive someone whether they still want to be your friend or not. You can just release them. If they refuse reconciliation, you've done all that God expects of you. And my friend, somebody who has wronged you doesn't have to come crawling to you first begging you to forgive them. You can just forgive them. You can just release them and I no longer want to hurt them. I don't want this to stand between us. You know, when I was in the third grade, there was a high school boy in our neighborhood that committed literally a crime against me and against our family. And it wasn't until years later, like I think I was in college that we came to realize the depth and the, and the nature of that crime and I decided I needed to forgive him. But you know what? I couldn't in person because this guy had already died. He died in a car wreck. I can remember the day that I took an empty chair and I set it in a room and I called his name out. And I said, I forgive you for what you did to me and my family. He never once had a chance to come and say, please forgive me. But you know what? He is forgiven. And I've done all that God asked of me. So don't think that somebody has to come crawling to you saying, please forgive me before you forgive them. Release them. Here's the third way you know you've forgiven somebody. When I forgive, it means I won't bring up this incident again. <laughs> now, this is the hard one. I heard about two husbands that were talking, and one of them said, you know, when my wife and I argue, she gets historical. He said, you mean hysterical? No, historical. She brings up every bad thing I've ever done. Some people say forgive and forget. If you've ever said, you know what, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not going to forget it, let me translate that. I'm not going to forgive you. Because if you hang on to that memory and continue to let that memory 
roll over and over again in your consciousness, you haven't truly forgiven them. It's like the funny story I heard about some animals in Africa around a watering hole. A giraffe was standing next to an elephant. The elephant looks up and sees a turtle over there. The elephant walks over and just takes his front leg and just kicks that turtle across the water hole. Comes back, the giraffe says, what was that about? That elephant said, you know, 27 years ago when I was a baby elephant, that same turtle nipped me on my trunk and it hurt and I had never forgotten it. And the giraffe said, wow, you must have a great memory. The elephant said, yeah, I have turtle recall. It's okay to laugh. You know, I've known some people in church, they forget faces, they forget names, they forget phone numbers, but they don't forget when somebody's wronged them, even though it was 10 or 12 years ago. Listen, you can't forget something outside of brain damage or senility, but you can actively choose not to remember it. That's what God does. And listen, God's um, omniscient. He knows everything. It's not really theologically possible for God to forget anything. But when it comes to our sins and transgressions, look at what the Bible says there. It says in Isaiah 43, 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. God says, I I choose actively not to remember your sin anymore. Amy Carmichael was a great missionary to India. She served in India for 55 years without a furlough. Brilliant writer. She writes this, if I say, yes, I forgive, but I cannot forget, as though the God who twice a day washes all the sands on all the shores of the world could not wash such memories from my mind, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. This is one of the toughest parables Jesus ever told. Y'all remember back when you used to rent DVDs? I guess some people still do. But you'd go like to Blockbuster somewhere and rent DVDs. Sometimes it was, it was a big movie. They'll have alter, alternate, alternate endings on that DVD. You could make a different ending to the movie. So you could choose several endings of how it would end. I want to do that for this parable. I want to write an alternate ending and see how it changes it because it shows what grace can do. So just follow along or you can just listen as I read it. As the king began the settlement, hard-hearted Harry, who owed him $10 million, was brought to him. Since Harry was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all they'd had be sold to repay the debt. At this, Harry fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged and I will pay back everything. Harry's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Here's the alternate ending. But when Harry went out and saw debtor Dan, one of his fellow servants who owed him $20, Dan fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But hard-hearted Harry was now grace-hearted Harry. So like his master, Harry had pity on Dan and said, Dan, what you owe me is tiny compared to the debt I owed that was just forgiven me. So my friend, I forgive your debt. Then the master called Harry in. 
You faithful servant, good for you. You canceled Dan's small debt just as I canceled your massive debt, grace-hearted Harry. I'm going to promote you to be my chief servant. And with this alternate ending, here's how this final verse should read. This is how my heavenly Father will bless each of you who forgive your brother from a heart that has been changed by my forgiveness. Are you going to live by justice, payback? Are you going to live by the grace that keeps on forgiving? Let's pray. Maybe right now the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind someone that you really truly haven't forgiven. Would you just commit to yourself and to the Lord right now that you will forgive as you have been forgiven? It may take a phone call, an email, a text, a one-on-one visit. But wouldn't it be great to start a new calendar year with a slate completely clean of any resentment, grudges, or bitterness? But there are others of you who are here today that maybe you don't understand grace and reconciliation because you've never been forgiven. You've never accepted God's free gift of eternal life. And if you're here in person or watching on the screen and you'd like to receive God's gift of grace, You can just pray a prayer like this right after me. Pray it silently, but pray it sincerely. Dear God, I am a sinner. I can never earn salvation. Thank you for offering the gift of forgiveness. By faith, I receive and accept your free gift of forgiveness. Jesus, please come and take control of my life. I will live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're in the room and you prayed that prayer, after we have a closing song, I hope you'll stop by Guest Central and just tell somebody, you know, I prayed that prayer, received the gift of eternal life. If you're watching online, please contact us over the website. Somebody would like to follow up and tell you how you can take next steps in the Christian life. Or it could be you're in this room and you're not a member here at Moberly, but this is where you're being led and being fed. Why don't you go to Guest Central and say, I want to talk about what it means to be a member of Marberly Baptist Church. Or there's some of you who maybe you've trusted Christ, but you haven't been baptized since you became a Christian. There's somebody out there that'll be happy to talk to you about that decision as well. So before we leave, let's stand together again and let's sing one more time, how great is our God. Oh, how great is our God. Sing with me.
you for being here this morning. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and happy new year. You are dismissed.